Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, we're in for a, a real treat today. What I wanted when I started this podcast was to get other sailors to share their stories with all of us. And there's been a couple of my listeners, my friends who have done this. Uh, Jack Andrews has done this. And today we get to hear from Neil Fletcher. Neil talks about his trip sailing in the Swedish archipelago and over to Finland last summer. It is a real treat. Neil took a lot of time to put this podcast together, and I really want to thank him. If you would like to add your stories to this podcast, do this. Do what Neil did. Create a podcast in an MP3 or WAVE format and get it to me, and I'd be glad to share it with our listeners. To write me, email me at franz1 at medsailor.com. That's franz and the number one at medsailor.com, M-E-D-S-A-I-L-O-R.com. I hope some of you choose to share your stories in an audio format with me and our listeners. Thanks. Before we get to that podcast, let me thank my sponsor, Sailrite. For over 50 years, Sailrite has been your authority in all things marine DIY. Do it yourself. What started as a mail-order correspondence course on sailmaking has grown into one of the largest online and catalog retailers for the marine industry. Sailrite stocks everything you need to sew for your boat. They are the only company that makes one design and custom sail kits. As a passionate group of DIYers, Sailrite's dedication to self-reliance at sea is proven in their products and services. Sailrite sells fabric, foam, supplies, and more including the legendary portable and powerful Ultrafeed sewing machine. So you can be self-reliant and save money by sewing your own projects, from biminis to dodgers, sacrificial sail covers and sail bags, to interior and exterior seating and cushions. Sailrite brings you the best brands in the industry for unmatched product quality and professional-looking DIY results. With over 50 years of bringing you quality products, unparalleled service, and support, and free how-to videos, Sailrite is a name you can trust. Welcome to the Sailing in the Mediterranean podcast. This is Neil. I am an occasional contributor filling in for France on this episode. It's the first week of August 2020, and the world has certainly changed since I last appeared on this show, and certainly not for the better. Along with millions of others, my summer vacation plans have long been abandoned, and the dreams I had of crossing Sweden via the Gota Canal and exploring its fabled west coast will have to be put on hold at least until 2021. I'm thankful I'm healthy, of course, but it's nonetheless very bittersweet to have to turn to the past rather than the present for consolation. As regular listeners may know, I am the proud owner of Arcturus, a 1966 Allied Seabreeze yawl, and it has been my habit to spend summers sailing her in the high latitudes of Sweden and Finland for the last couple of years. 
I spent two months last summer sailing a total of 633 nautical miles from the east coast of Sweden, where the boat is based, eastward into Finland as far as Tallinn in Estonia. That was the weather mark, so to speak. From there I headed north to Helsinki in Finland before turning west on a circuitous route, taking in a variety of Finnish ports before heading back to Sweden to leave the boat for the winter. I had a variety of guests on board, all but one of whom were local sailors that I know from racing in Marina del Rey, which is located about 10 minutes from my house in Santa Monica. Now, I've already done a podcast with Franz about it, but I thought it might be useful to hear from my guests on the boat. So this week, we will feature their thoughts, recollections and reflections recorded in the Salon of Arcturus in Tallinn, Turku and Nortalia, respectively. Kevin, who you'll hear from first, was with me for two weeks, from June 23rd to July 6th, helping me launch the boat from the Swedish port of Oregrund, crossing the Baltic with me to the Orland Islands and staying with me all the way as we headed east to Tallinn two weeks later. Knut and Grace joined me in Helsinki and sailed with me for a week as we headed west and departed in Turku on July 13th. The following day, Richard joined me. Richard lives in southern Spain and is an old friend from London. And we sailed for a few days west to Mariham in the Orland Archipelago, where we met up with Mark Wilson, another local Southern California sailor. After an unforgettable day on the near, nearby island of Rodham, the three of us crossed the Baltic back to Sweden, spending a couple of days in Orno and then Nortalia, before Mark and Richard headed home. So, without more ado, let's hear from Kevin, Canute, Grace, Richard and Mark. It is Wednesday, July 3rd, 2019, and I am sitting in the main cabin of my boat, SV Arcturus, in the Old Town Marina in Tallinn in Estonia. I'm sitting here with my friend Kevin, Kevin C, we'll call him, who I've been sailing with for the last couple of years on my regular racing boat out of Marina del Rey, California, which is a Beneteau Oceanus. And Kevin has been with me here in Scandinavia for the past 10 days. We started off in Oregrund on the east coast of Sweden, where we got the boat ready. And um, since then, we've we had a couple of stops in Sweden before we crossed the Baltic into the Orland Islands at Mariham. And then we went to a variety of harbours. We've been at a different harbour every night for the past nine days, some of which were older stops where I'd been to before from last year that were worthy of, a, of, of, a, of another visit and um, we've been to some new places too. So it's been really quite a, a wonderful adventure so far and we've done all sorts of sailing. We've had, um, we've had the mizzen up and we've had a full complement of sails. We've gone um, jib and jigger when we've had to when the wind kicked up and when there's been no wind we've done some motoring and uh, we motored across today from um, the Finnish side over to Estonia and the wind was behind us right DDW the whole time so even though we had quite a lot of wave action behind us we didn't really have enough wind so we motored across the whole way so Kevin's seen a little bit of everything he's seen harbour mooring and he's seen bows to mooring and we're just going to get a little bit of feedback from him as someone who hasn't been in this part of the world before, just what he thinks of the sailing here. And hopefully you'll find it illuminating. So, Kevin, first of all, thank you for joining us. It's, uh, as I said, it's about 10 o'clock here. It's uh, one of those gorgeous, lovely twilights that we get in this part of the world. 
and there's still a little bit of wind maybe our listeners will hear the creaking of our bow lines um during the course of this conversation but i think it just adds to the uh, ambience so kevin um first of all as i said thank you for joining us how long have you been sailing by the way i've been sailing about uh five years now i've uh, been doing racing for about three years of that uh almost all of my experiences in southern california uh and so this is the first time that you sailed outside the country? Uh, with the exception of a race down to Ensenada, Mexico, it is. A race we did together, Newport Ensenada, yes. Well, actually, we didn't do it together. I think I saw you down there, but I think I was on yeah, another boat. Yeah, we're on different boats. That's right. Well, I was, we were on different boats. That's right. So um, what are your impressions of Scandinavian sailing? How have you enjoyed it? And uh, what has been surprised you? Or just tell us your thoughts. Ah, I love sailing out here. Uh, it is so beautiful. There are so many islands, so many places to go. Um, the scenery is fantastic. Uh, both uh, the land, the sea, and the people. Um, and it's just been awesome, really. <laughs> Has anything surprised you? Um, wow. Uh, just how um, variable the conditions can be out here um, just how um, as beautiful as it is out here I think it's equally dangerous I think there's uh, there are a ton of rocks not all of which are marked um, and the conditions can change and uh, it's an easy place for uh, your mind to wander and it's a place where letting your mind wander is, is truly a dangerous thing to do. Uh, if you're not paying attention, if you don't uh, know where you are, have a good map or navigation program that you're paying attention to, um, it's you can get into trouble very quickly out here. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? We were just doing a passage a couple of days ago where we were coming into a gorgeous little um, marina called Rosala, and we'd had a just a wonderfully spectacular day. The wind was sort mm -hmm. of on our quarter the whole day. We were um, we were broad reaching. Conditions seemed absolutely wonderful, and just when you sort of you start to get giddy. We made that, you know, things started to close in on us in terms of the, the topography and we decided to make the turn up to where the, 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 the marina was. And instead of doing the sensible thing, which would be just to drop the sails and motor, we decided because everything had gone so well that we were just going to tack up that channel. And then um, it sort of almost bit us, didn't it? Because it, the wind is so shifty up those channels and it's so easy to get backwinded. And if you get backwinded, you can get blown onto the rocks just in moments. Right. And uh, I've learned that lesson myself before. I've never been blown onto the rocks, but a couple of times I've got backwinded and I've had to stick the engine on and, you know, and take evasive action. And every time I've done it, I thought to myself, well, I won't make that mistake again. But I guess the problem is when you sail 10 months of the year in different conditions, you get used to those different conditions. And there's no doubt that even if you've done it before, as I have, the first sort of three four five six days is really a learning curve you're relearning what you thought you knew and you really can't take anything for granted you know and uh, i think sailing is one of those things that the lord giveth and the lord taketh away and really the scandinavian sailing is really like that the moment you start to relax too much it can turn and bite you on the rear end in quite a painful way so we we just had a couple of moments, I think, where we just sort of, as I said, relearned lessons that I knew before and you didn't. But you have to you have to respect this landscape hugely, I think, you know. 
Absolutely, and uh, like you said, it all went sideways in just a few seconds. Right. Um, <laughs> and that's really all it takes to get blown on the rocks out of here. Um, now, uh, you have not been on um, Arcturus before. Regular listeners will know quite a lot about the history of this boat. This boat was previously owned by Ben Weems of Weems and Plath, and then by Andy Shell of the 59 North Sailing podcast. He sold me the boat in 2015, um, and she still turns heads. In fact, we got boarded by the Finnish Coast Guard, yeah. did we not? We did. It was, it was a yeah, they, fun uh, experience. Yeah, they were going past us at a rate of knots, and then they, they saw, as they cleared our stern, and they saw the Annapolis, Maryland um, address on the back, they turned and decided to come and give us the once-over. And they were—they couldn't have been nicer. I mean, they were very handsome and charming and very polite and sort of slightly apologetic for doing their job. But they were just sort of—they wanted to know what an American flagged. I mean, I don't—we don't actually fly an American flag here, but the home port is listed as Annapolis, Maryland. So they wanted to get the story, as indeed do many of the people in the marinas that we meet. But um, they wanted to know what an American boat was doing out here. They took uh, pictures of our passports. They took pictures of the boat documentation, and then they were on their way. But um, from your perspective as an outsider, you know, I'm very proud of this boat. I love this boat very much. But from your perspective as an outsider who sailed mainly on modern boats, could you give us a little bit of your insight? And feel free to say anything nice that you want to, but uh, just give us an honest opinion of, 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 of how you feel about the boat. And... Um, what's uh, impressed you or otherwise um well i love this boat and uh, it's it's been awesome to sail on uh, i love how little draft it has and how that enables us to go places and that otherwise we wouldn't be able to go if we had a full keel and uh, uh you know with the modern boat and uh and it's been a lot of fun it's uh it's very comfy. So at least, at least with just two people, uh, if they had the full complement, it might be a little. Uh... Yeah, well, I've been very generous. I always try to get, make sure my guests have a good time. So I put Kevin in the forepeak, and uh, it's very cozy in there. And you can open the door to the head, and it's uh, and it really is a, your own little world there. And um, uh, we'll deal with the we'll actually we'll deal with the head in a minute. We'll talk about the composting head. But the thing that I mean, Andy Shell has has, has uh, earned plaudits on this podcast before, so we won't cover too much of it. But the functionality of this boat is really remarkable when you consider that it, you know it's got a very flexible sail plan. If you want to drop the main when things get a little sporty and you're short-handed or you just don't want too much drama, you can just go jib and jigger. And that, which is we did a couple of days ago and the boat was moving like an absolute speed demon i mean i think we were getting up to six and a half seven knots with jib and jigger with the with the genoa and the mizzen out which was fantastic but it's such an you know much easier sail plan and we've got a reefable genoa as well plus a storm jib which we haven't put up a couple of good deep reefs in 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 the main so this boat really does seem to be able to handle all sorts of different situations which you throw at it which has been nice um, from a sailing perspective um, but since we were last talking about this boat we've had a couple of changes most notably well we've swapped out our water tank we've now got a new smaller water tank um, but also which is fine I mean we've got the original one too but uh, sometimes the water in there looks like a science science experiment so we've been um, <laughs> for potable water we have a smaller 14 and a half gallon tank that I had installed over the winter and then 
for washing and uh, all the other stuff, we use the stuff in the main tank, which I think is 25 uh, gallon capacity. But what we've also been doing in the morning for coffee and various other things, we use a jet boil system, which is really fantastic because it boils the water so fast. Jet boil is a camping product that can boil two cups of water in, I think, three minutes. Um, so we just use that for coffee in the morning, which is, and it, you know, it stows away nicely. So that's worked out well. Um, but uh, the thing that we, I really wanted to touch upon, um, if I'm not, you know, uh, talking sewage, so to speak, is the the combust the composting head, because we had the existing head taken out over the winter time, and we had a um, an air head put in. Uh, I'd originally heard this recommended on Andy's podcast, so I had it supplied to me by Nuno, who is the air head uh, distributor in Sweden. And we had it put in and it's been absolutely fantastic. Um, the, you know, I'd done a lot of research ahead of time and I'd seen that what most people recommend is cocoa coir, which is the, I guess, compressed husks of coconut. So, <coughs> excuse me, I bought a bunch of that stuff while I was over in LA and um, I put a bunch of it in my bags and it just looks like this nasty brown brick of stuff and you really have no idea what it is. So I put it right on the top of my bags in case I got uh, my bag searched by the uh, TSA. And I put, uh, in a, I labelled it very clearly, cocoa coir composting medium for composting head, <laughs> just in case, because it just looks like something that a drug dealer would carry in his in his uh, check, checked luggage. <laughs> and that stuff actually comes out as a brick, and it's very, very hard. You have to saw it off with a, with a very, very sharp blade, and then you have to add some water until it breaks down and then you put it in the main chamber of the toilet but it has worked an absolute treat you have to keep the liquid separate from the solids but that's the way that the head is designed but um kevin's been making liberal use of it um (laughs) (laughs) uh, as have i to be fair um and um it's marvelous isn't it i mean there's no smell whatsoever it's fantastic Yeah. So as long well. as long as you keep the two set the two uh, constituent parts separate and you keep the fan on, there's a little fan that's like a computer fan that operates hardly any power draw whatsoever, and that um, I guess keeps the composting um, process moving. And then once you've gone, uh, you just turn the crank in the main chamber once or twice, and it does its magic. So I haven't had to change it out yet. I'm expecting, according to all the literature, to not have to do that until the end of the summer. And I've got another four. We're we're ten weeks into the vacation so far, and I've got four more weeks to go. So six weeks should be enough, and I'll be able to give a, I'll be able to talk trash, so to speak. I know this is a family show so i don't want to use any harsher language than that but we'll be able to talk uh, talk trash later on and we'll, we'll, we'll discuss how it went but so far it's been absolutely marvelous there's no smell there's no holding tank there's none of that stuff and um i for one am a complete devotee of this system so uh perhaps we should move on out of the uh, toilet <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Kevin is leaving tomorrow. He's got he's incorporated a sort of a grand European tour into this trip. So he'll be heading off to uh, Riga, which is Latvia. Is that right? Yeah, it's Latvia. And then he'll be heading to Poland, Gdansk and uh, Krakow and a couple of other places, right? Yeah, and Prague and Paris. Yeah. And Prague and Paris. So he's got a grand European tour um, set up. And I'm heading back across to Helsinki tomorrow. 
and I'm, uh, I've got a second group of people coming. Um, I beg your pardon, I'll be heading off across on Friday, and I'll have a second group of people who will be with me for a week, and we'll be heading back west towards Turku. That's T-U-R-K-U, which is the sort of Finnish capital of sailing. Um, and then they'll be, I'll be swapping them out for another couple of crew members, and we will be heading back to Sweden, the east coast of Sweden, um, for by sort of the first week of August. So here we are right before July 4th. It's July 3rd now, and I've got another month to go. So I will incorporate a second part of uh, the, the uh, of this show to, re to reflect on the places that I've been then. But I would just like to cover quite quickly the places that we've been. Um, as I said, the boat wintered in Oregrund, and I met Kevin back on um, in Stockholm on uh, Sunday the 30th of June and then we drove up to Oregrund which is about a two-hour drive and maybe a little longer and we spent the first couple of nights there uh, because we were launching the boat and um, you know putting up the mizzenmast and just uh, doing all the checking all the systems we headed down to Grislaham which is still in Sweden it's about 20 nautical miles south just to give the boat a little shakedown and that was a nice little spot, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, very peaceful, and it was inland. You know, the, so much of the Swedish waterways are inland rather than, you know, out on the... They're next to the coast, but they're sort of protected by these barrier islands. So we spent just a night there before we headed across to Mariham, which is the beginning of, of Finland in the Orland Islands, and we just motored across on a glassy sea, um, and we spent a couple of days there. Mariham is a terrific place, isn't it? I mean, oh. it's got a big history of... Cape Horners there. They there wasn't really much industry or agriculture there, so they had to go abroad to make money in the 19th century. And they've got a wonderful um, four-masted square tall ship there, the Pommern, which I think was in in service for almost a hundred years. And they would take um, <clears throat> forestry products and logs from Sweden and Finland around Cape Horn to Australia, and then they would bring grain and wool back. And they did that for a long time, and the ship is still absolutely gorgeously preserved. So they take their maritime history very, very seriously in Maryham. So it's well worth a spot. Uh, it's well worth a, a, a day or two to to enjoy the spot. And then on the the next day, Friday, we went to Bjorkor, which was one of my favourite discoveries last year. It's not really bows too. It's not a marina either. There's no facilities there. It's a nature reserve. But there's one jetty that's covered in lichen, a wooden jetty that I think was built in the late 18th, 19th century, which you just tie up to and you have the whole place to yourself. So we spent a gorgeous night there. Then we headed east to Kokar. From there we went, which was fine. I've been there before. Great sauna and good facilities and a wonderful seafarer's chapel. Um, from there we went east about another 25 nautical miles to a place called Jormo, which... You can take it or leave it. It was very windswept, absolutely howling wind, and really nothing remarkable about the island apart from a little alpaca farm, one of which took a liking to me and decided to hump me. So that was the uh, <laughs> ah, that was the highlight of the trip for me or for for him. And um, I actually I actually sent a, a picture to a friend of mine saying that you know I had a new girlfriend with a picture of the alpaca. And he texted me back and he said, well, I don't really agree with your analysis. He said, it doesn't look like you have a new girlfriend, but maybe the alpaca does. 
Um, from there, we headed east again in about another 30 nautical miles to a lovely little harbour called um, Rosala, where I had the hot, we had the hottest sauna I have ever been in my life. It was absolutely glorious, picture perfect. About 15 boats a capacity, and there were probably about six there. So that was terrific. Um, and from there, we did a little bows too, called at a bay called Moda Magan that we'd been recommended, which is just north of a of an island called uh, Jusoro. And from there, we had a 50-mile nautical passage over to um, uh, Tallinn, which is where we find ourselves today. So I haven't gone into too much detail about the islands, um, but I can do that at a later date. But it's probably better if you check out my blog, which is called sailingarctourist.com. And there you can find details on each of the islands that I've been to. It will have the GPS coordinates. It will have a image from Google Earth so you can see sort of how the, the lay of the land in terms of the anchorage or the harbour. Um, and also where possible, I've added a little drone footage which helps you get better acquainted and will give you a little more detail. So for that, just go to www.sailingarctourist.com and hopefully you will find it interesting and illuminating. And if ever any of you out there in um, the interwebs does, uh, are curious about sailing either on the east coast of Sweden in the Stockholm archipelago or in the Orland Islands or all points east towards Helsinki, please get in touch. I'm always happy to talk about sailing and I'm always happy to answer any questions you may have. I'm no expert by any means. But this is my third year here, and I'm absolutely captivated by this place. It is so wonderful in so many ways, as Kevin said. People ask me frequently, what is the appeal? And it's sort of hard sometimes to put it into words without sounding like a cliche. But when you add up the majesty of nature, the light, the endless daylight this time of year... The people, the topography, the space, the lack of crowds, and this very special boat I'm on, it all I can say is, without wanting to sound pretentious, is that it transports you, literally and figuratively, to another place, a place of peace and calm and inspiration. I mean, that's why we do this. That's why we sail. I think all of us, all of you who are listening to this podcast know about the benefits of sailing, and this particular place is truly magical and captivating and until you've been here you can't really appreciate how fantastic it is so you can listen to the podcast or you can come here and sell yourself and i encourage you to do the latter in the meantime thank you kevin for joining us and thanks for having me and thank you so much for joining me on this lovely voyage and um i hope to see you next time on the boat and for all of you listening I will check back in with you later in the summer when I've got a little bit more to discuss about how the rest of the summer has unfolded. Welcome back. It is Saturday, July 13th, and I'm sitting here in the cabin of Arcturus in Turku, which is the seafaring capital of Finland to a very large extent. It's an absolutely breathtaking summer morning. The sky is blue, the sun is shining, there's barely a breath of wind. And it's a little after nine o'clock in the morning. And there is very much a bittersweet sense in the air because I'm sitting here with two of the best crew I've ever had on my boat. 
Canute and Grace. We won't give any last names in the interest of privacy, but they are both sailors in the marina who I've known for a couple of years. And they decided to come along with me on this adventure. And since I checked in in the first part of the podcast, we have visited Helsinki and Tallinn, uh, Yusuro, Hanko, Kaznas, and here we are back in Turku. So I'm just going to chat with each of them in turn about their experiences here, what they thought of the sailing here, what surprised them, what they enjoyed, and perhaps what they didn't enjoy. And um, I'll just ask each of them to say a few words just about their own sailing experience. So I'm going to start with, uh, on the premise of of beauty before age, I'm going to start with Grace. Ah. So Grace, Mm -hmm. thanks for joining us today. And just tell us very briefly about how you got into sailing and how you liked it in this part of the world. Well, hello. I first got into sailing because I decided I needed something new and different, and I was always on the ocean, so why not keep moving with it? And uh, I was invited on Arcturus to do this uh, journey after five years of sailing. What I have found with it is, first of all, I expect I did not expect for Arcturus to be this, um, to have this much ambiance and be so welcoming and have such a great host with meals and uh, music and just an unspent, unbeknownst to me just uh, something that I it's, it's, it feels like home uh, so that's the what and uh, then navigate in terms of sailing and, and navigating was something that was really uh, the adventure of this trip there's archipelagos and obstructions everywhere you look uh, the wind favored us sometimes and sometimes they did not um, but it, navigation was something that was always necessary uh, raising the head sail was my favorite part um, as for our skipper he's okay <laughs> <laughs> no um, and it, it's it's just been the time of my life really well that's nice to hear and um, thanks for the kind words. And what about um, the landscape, the topography, the Finns, um, or indeed the Estonians? Do you have an opinion about them? The Finns are very, very, very sweet people. Everywhere you go, they're ready to help you more. And um, if I had to pick, uh, despite the fact of all the islands we've been to, despite the fact that Kaznas had so much adventure and all of that, uh, my favorite island was Jusero. Uh, it was very, it was remote. It was just uh, rainy when we came in and mooring bows too and just sort of, uh, of, of a magical thing um, in combination with Cosmos's tea house, which is just these, these things you don't see. Um, the, the light that comes in at every time of the day because light never ends is something that you just, your eyes and your heart never quite get used to it changes the entire landscape of your own life that's how i feel about the landscape so let's deal with both of those in turn the the was interesting because that's a, a beautiful little harbor by the looks of it we didn't get to go in because it was jammed with people and we had a kind right. of a, it was a very long passage we mm. did we'd done a long passage over from estonia we hadn't got an early start because we were only in Estonia for a night, so we wanted to see Old Town, and mm-hmm. we went to that lovely, we went to a lovely tea house in Old Old Town in the morning, with the rotating teacups in the window. 
So I guess, and we had, uh, I mean, we were able to sail probably um, half or three quarters of the passage, weren't we? The wind was good when we started. And then right. It, you know, but we didn't get into, and it was about uh, 45, 46 nautical miles, I think. And by the time we got there, it was about nine o'clock. And it was full, and, you know, it was a little disappointing to see that. But sometimes life, I mean, sailing is just a, a microcosm of life. And where things don't go well, or how you expected them, or how you wanted them to, sometimes it just presents an opportunity. And I remember looking at you guys and saying, well, I wanted to do bows too, and there's some lovely rocks over there. And I guess you guys probably had a little bit of trepidation as I drove the boat, albeit slowly, towards the rocks. Were you a little trepidatious, or...? Uh, just a little bit, but um, I ugh, I know you could... I knew you were going to be able to do that. I mean, or at least I trusted that as, as long as you have sailed, that it could go, it could, it, it could go very wrong. Mm. But um, but there was also something about the talking through the process that we thought figured it was going to work, and it had to work because it it, it was a place that we would never ever ever be there otherwise. Right. And right. so it, the rocks and the, yeah, the, the I was rain that the and the would be somewhere that uh, hidden yeah, rocks. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So yeah. so let's introduce Canute before we go any further. We're leaving him behind. So Canute, uh, I've known for a couple of years, not very well, but he's a excuse me, a Marina del Rey sailor, and um, you've been sailing since you were a young man in Germany. Uh, no, that was actually when I came to the States first. Oh, it was. So I, I've been sailing for um, more than 30 years. Mm -hmm. Those were smaller boats, initially, uh, you know, dinghies. And then uh, I, I took courses in, in New York City, uh, the, you know, J24s. This was my first experience. But, but bigger boats, really, when I came to Marina del Rey, I've been uh, doing this for the last three years there. And, uh, and I've always uh, enjoyed it, you know. Enjoyed. And you normally race on a Cal 36, is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's your regular boat, That's the regular it? boat. Yeah, but yeah. I have been on uh, very different boats everywhere from Benetour 55 to uh, Janos 49. And I have uh, also chartered boats uh, earlier. And you owned a boat yourself at one I time? I owned a, but a smaller boat, a 20-foot boat. Mm -hmm. I, I had an O'Day. An O'Day. An O'Day. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and sailed that single-handedly all the time enjoyed it but uh, it was a centerboard and uh, you know you can't go out uh, at certain winds and, and uh, that's the difference here and being a German you're a little more a little more familiar with this part of the world you may not have sailed here before but it's not so far from where you grew up is it that's correct yes I grew up in, uh, in, in northern Germany southern Germany but I knew the the Baltic coast and the North Sea uh, but had never gone beyond Denmark mm -hmm. this is really lovely I mean this is archipelago I, I, you know, during our trip, I had said a couple of times, I don't know whether there's anything comparable mm -hmm. uh, yeah. to that. It's, yeah. it's just, a, I think it's a huge national park, and uh, I hope that it stays that way. And, uh, you know, there's so much space and, and, and so many opportunities. And I said to Grace, sometimes when we um, navigate, you don't see the end. They said, okay, here, according to the map. This is the way, but... But it looks like it's not out, a through street. Looks, looks right. Closed, you know? Ever. Right. right. Yeah. Right. It reveals itself on closer right. inspection. Right. Like a wonderful person. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or like big Yosemite park. Yeah. yeah that's on right. the water. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And the winds have been fairly steady. I mean, most of the... We've been... You've been on the boat for seven days today, but in mm. terms of the sailing, we've been able to sail almost every day. Yesterday, we didn't because mm -hmm. we chose not to. Conscious. But... Yeah, we had all kinds of winds, uh, you know, uh, we had uh, initially difficulty to get enough wind, but we had uh, 
very great experience, and we had actually very exciting wins too. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. yesterday, uh, obviously, this one thing was we wanted to come here in time. The other thing was there was many gusts. I mean, you know, sailing would have been not not very pleasant and very difficult. White caps. White caps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But in general, I mean, the winds have been what between. 10 and probably 16 a lot of the mm -hmm. time we've yes, had enough correct. wind yeah, that's um, we had a very interesting passage up to Hanko where the mm -hmm. skies were overcast it was threatening rain there were a lot of boats around us so mm -hmm. it was almost as if we were racing we had some brisk upwind work mm -hmm. there which was kind of fun wasn't it that was a little bit like going to the weather mark in the marina yeah. But I mean, in general, I can't add much what uh, Grace was saying, and you know, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful trip, you know, beautiful islands. I think the first, uh, when we were in, in uh, you know, anchoring uh, beside the rocks, this was just lovely, it was idyllic, uh, you know. We, uh, I regret that we didn't have the time to stay longer, a little longer there, yeah. it was just a wonderful right. uh, na nature. Yes, bows too is something that people look, if you haven't done it, bows too is something that people, sailors, just look at you in disbelief and they say, what, you point your boat at the rocks and you leave? What happens <laughs> when the tide goes up or the tide goes down or the wind right, goes? Right. But, you know, the weather conditions here are fairly predictable. Usually at four o'clock in the evening, give or take, the winds die and it very often turns to go like the water becomes like glass. And as long as you're in control of your boat and the, the topography too of the, the seabed, it just rises up very rapidly. So you don't have to worry about if you're, you know, I mean, there are exceptions, of course, and they're all marked on the charts. But when you choose a bows to place, you can approach with confidence and know that you can be 10 feet away from the granite. Right. And there'll be 18 feet of water under your keel. Mm, and of course, great. with this boat, which has a cutaway full keel, you know, it's really very nice. If you've got three feet of water a couple of feet away, you you've you've got you don't have to worry about you know hitting your keel. So we, you know, it, it is a little daunting for the first couple of times, and people tend to get a little nervous just by the nature of it. But um, I've done this quite a few times now and I can do it with some degree of confidence and uh, once you're there and tied up it's just magical mm. because it's not a marina There's, you know it's just you and nature mm -hmm. and to be able to do that you really feel as though you are you really you truly are communing. are a sailor yeah you are yeah. as long as you know your boat I think you can do bows too right well and you find also that uh, in, in our example the Finn uh, helping where they can mm -hmm. right. a couple of times mm -hmm. when we wanted to to anchor, to do duck, duck. They are helpful. They are understanding. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it, it was very pleasant. I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful part of the world. And the facilities you like too. I mean, always good showers and saunas. Uh, and uh, beyond expectations. Yes. yes, the marinas we went were very, very good. I mean, right. it was very comfortable, modern, uh, clean. Mm -hmm. Well, one, so I'm sorry, Grace. Go no, ahead. I'm sorry. Hanko felt like a spa. Just throw that in. That's <laughs> just throw that in. One of the things about, um, and I think coming from America is that uh, you, at least living in America, in my effort, we're, uh, two, at least two of the three of us are immigrants. Um, is that when you go to the countryside, you expect facilities to be maybe a little spartan, a little run down, because it seems to not make economic sense to have swanky new facilities if there aren't a lot of people around. There seems to be a cost-benefit analysis, but in this part of the world, it doesn't seem that way. I know that the Swedish government underwrites the facilities um, as a tax, you know, as part of their tax base, to encourage people to stay out in the archipelago. So the archipelago remains used and so that mm -hmm. Swedish people remain a, a maritime mm -hmm. nation 
I don't know what the situation is in Finland, but it is surprising that you can go into a small town like Kasnas, which is really little more than a village, mm-hmm. but it's got a very nice restaurant, it's got, a, it's got a decent grocery store, and it's got just top-notch facilities for sauna and shower and laundry and everything else you need. So it's really... It's, I guess what I'm saying is it's amazing how sophisticated these places are right. when they're tiny little places with yes, hardly yes, anyone right. in. It's, that's really a pleasant surprise. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think that many people are going to these places. I mean, first of all, you have to have boats. The boats look very nice, so it's, a, it's an upper uh, class in many cases. Then you have people coming by car. You have the ferries. Right. And if you add all that up, mm-hmm. um, and, and then, of course, you know, uh, the Finns probably take some vacation there. So there's a lot of uh, uh, traffic. And, and that, that of course, uh, supports these things. And if you look at Hank, uh, Hanko and, and so forth, it's usually a hotel, and then the marina, and then the basic services, and, and that's all you Right, but nevertheless, it still feels very rural and rustic. Yes, yes right, right. right. It, doesn't, it doesn't take away from the rural and rustic. Right. And you would never have this in America, I will say that. And I would, I would that's why I would return and sail here instead, as, mm. as opposed to doing that. Just, just, it's just different. And we're going to touch very briefly on the tea house. Um, Grace, who's sitting next to me here, is quite the tea drinker, <laughs> which is funny considering I'm the Englishman. But um, she's a big fan of tea. And we, when we stopped off, when I paid the the, the harbour master, and I asked him, um, well, what's the worth doing in the town? And he looked at me and said, well, it's a village. It's not a town. Mm-hmm. But um, he recommended this tea shop, which was less than a mile up the road. And we just walked up there and we really had no expectation. We turned down a little road, with a little hand-painted sign. And it was just the most gorgeous little kiosk hidden away mm-hmm. um, around a corner. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 and they had done what they always do in this part of the world. They had left nature intact, but they just slightly cultivated it. So it was a riot of beautiful yeah. wildflowers, and there was a little uh, vegetable garden there and some lovely comfy seats and, uh, you know, and cushions outside. And then there was the tea and the snack, which, Grace, tell us about that. <laughs> well, the, the tea were... Fresh hibiscus flowers. Our options were black tea, fresh hibiscus, or green tea. And I mean, need I say more? I mean, the presentation. The platter was that for served for a queen, <laughs> and um, focaccia bread, which being Italian, uh, focaccia is always butchered, and they they made it that morning. I know they did, and they did not mess it up. Mm. I cannot even remember the sauces because I'm still basking in the beauty of the glorious. It was an onion marmalade was one of <laughs> Thank them that you. was particularly memorable. I think part of that was also that uh, um, the, the owners were young people. Uh-huh. English. Uh, uh, no the, uh, one of them was English mm-hmm. and uh, looked like the daughter were part of a farmhouse and it just had a wonderful setting and, mm-hmm. and, and lovely. And, and mm-hmm. uh, I think it's actually good that not many people know this place. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it has its, its originality. And their personality was so sweet. They yes. said, stay a while or stay as long as you'd like. Mm-hmm. And they literally let you stay that Yeah, long. they let me stay. I did some work <laughs> that heavens opened and the sound of the rain battering on the roof was quite uh, quite dramatic. It was just it was just a blessed little spot. And you, there's, for me, and it, probably for you too, it's very bittersweet when you go to a place like that because you're, you're so delighted that you found it. I guess this is a question of living in the moment. You've, you're absolutely delighted that you found this mm. place. But there's a sense of wistfulness that you know this was this will be the only time that I'm ever mm-hmm. here. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So 
Almost makes you cry. Almost. Well, it doesn't take much <laughs> to make me, me cry. Fortunately, this is an audio yeah. audio medium, so... Um, <laughs> so, both of you are off today. Grace is heading back um, uh, circuitously, back to the West Coast, and uh, Canute is heading back too, so... I will see them back, but um, before we sign off, is there anything else you'd like to add other than telling the audience what a wonderful host? I don't want to be deluged with people well, wanting to sail with me, so what I would play like it to, down, guys. Yeah, what I'd like to add <laughs> to Grace is not only that you provided meals, but you're an excellent cook. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you know, and an and, uh, incredible host. So, you know, when, when, uh, when you have two or three people on, on, on the boat and then you serve coffee and then... Uh, you know, prepare all these wonderful meals. This is just uh, incredible. And I think uh, if you're a week on a boat and in close quarters, you you, you develop a, a strong uh, friendship, which mm -hmm. lasts uh, hopefully all, all your life. Yeah. Don't count on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for the kind words. The audience don't need to hear that, but I appreciate it anyway. Um, Grace, any final thoughts that don't involve saying what a fantastic guy I am? No, I would never say that about you. Okay. Um, but I do appreciate re rituals, and I have established them in my life, and I felt like being in this part of the world, not just the Finns, but also Neil a bit and Canute, um, maintain my rituals, and I appreciate that. Okay. Well, thank you for listening and stay tuned for part three, which we will probably re be recording in about a week. And uh, we will have a couple of newbies on the boat, one, one of which uh, is familiar to the audience, Mark Wilson, who joined us for our SoCal 300 recap last year. And uh, stay with us and stay tuned. I'm back in part three of my account of my adventures this summer in Finland and Sweden. I'm sitting here in the main salon of SV Arcturus. We are in Nortalia, which is a town on the eastern side of uh, Sweden. I'm sitting here with Mark and with Richard. And it is Tuesday today, July 22nd. Yeah, it's easy to lose track 23rd. of time. 23rd. Thank you, Richard. It's easy to lose track of time when you're out here. This will be my sixth week on board the boat. And so my grasp of time, space, dates, etc. is a little, shall we say, fungible. But that's what happens when you're on a boat. And personally, I find it quite refreshing. So um, I have been with Richard for the past nine days. He joined me in Turku back on the 14th, that was a Sunday, that was the day after my previous crew had left for Los Angeles, and we spent a couple of days together sailing towards Maryham, where we met Mark three days later, and in, so we have been to a place called Norsby, a place called Degaby, we've been to Maryham, Bjorkor, um, Rodham, Blidor, We've crossed the Baltic. We've had all sorts of adventures, and we're going, we're going to go into detail over the next 20, 25 minutes, just talking about where we've gone, where we've been, and um, these gentlemen's impressions of the place. So, first of all, I'm going to introduce Mark. Mark, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks, you are Neil. you are a Southern California sailor based in Los Angeles. You've been sailing with me for probably three or four years, and we've had a couple of adventures together. Do you just want to say a couple of words about how you started sailing and what your normal sailing experience is? Sure. I've been sailing for about 
five or six years. Uh, pretty much leisure sales on the weekend. Uh, there was a year or two where I did competitively race every week on Wednesday nights out of Marina del Rey. But uh, just due to life circumstances and work, I am pretty much a casual leisure sailor on Sundays. Yes, that's certainly true. But uh, Mark does have the distinction, or perhaps there's a better word for that, of having sailed with me in four countries now. We've sailed together in American waters, in Mexican waters. We've done the Newport Ensenada race twice together, once this year, once last year. And now we've sailed in Finland and in Sweden as well. So that's uh, he's getting the notches on his belt, and so am I. Which brings us to Richard. Richard is a very dear old friend of mine who I've known for more than 30 years. We met first in London back in the early 80s. And Richard now lives in southern Spain. And this is his second trip aboard SV Arcturus. He was here two years ago, mainly in the Stockholm archipelago. So he has expanded his horizons, as have I. And uh, so, Richard, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I um, joined uh, Neil in uh, Turku which is the furthermost, the westernmost city in, in uh, Finland, and uh, arrived in not particularly good health, and uh, was uh, a little nervous about that, but gradually that has improved in my time uh, with Neil on Acturus. And I think uh, a large part of that has been uh, the magnificent sailing that we've enjoyed here. I should also add at this point, I am certainly not invited on Arcturus for my sailing ability. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, my, my place is very much in the galley, which uh, is uh, not something I particularly mind. And in fact, I quite enjoy really. But um, the boat has been in extremely capable hands. And I've been incredibly impressed with the uh, two skippers on board and uh, their knowledge of the sea especially Neil's local knowledge here in how to navigate the waters and moor into, uh, onto rocks and things that uh, I'd uh, myself wouldn't ever even contemplate attempting, but have all been handled with the utmost professionalism. Um, all in all, it's, uh, it's been an incredibly memorable trip and with so many really amazing memories, it's, it's so hard to, to know where to start. Um, I should say, perhaps starts with um, how convivial the company has been. And uh, that really has been, I think, the other highlight of uh, the last nine, ten days on the uh, boat, especially since uh, Mark has joined us. It really is uh, three men on a boat, and it has been <laughs> um, a, a really, really enjoyable time with um, some fantastic conversation, plenty of good humour, and uh, lots of uh, fine drinking as well. So let's let's begin. Um, we started off in Turku. Turku is a wonderful natural harbour. It's considered, I think, the maritime capital of Finland. It's certainly a place where an awful lot of boats are registered. There is probably a dozen marinas there. And as you come up out of the regular Finnish archipelago, uh, you sort of you sort of lead into this five mile stretch going into the mouth of what's really a very big river. And the, the, the river veers off in two directions. On the left, you have a huge terminal for ferries. So very often you have a ferry coming up behind you and 10 minutes later you have another one. It's kind of a stop on the circuit here that leads out to um, Russia and to Estonia and the, the rest of the Baltic states. Um, and Turku is very much a stop there. But then if you continue to the right for about another, uh, probably about another two or three nautical miles, you come up right into the middle of the town. 
and you moor there between two um, pilings and right there it, it's a terrific place in the summer because there's parks there's people partying there's lots of young people having a good time there's restaurants lining the riverbanks and there are old abandoned not abandoned but um, retired boats that have been turned into restaurants and nightclubs or what have you so it's really pretty vibrant and we've had some very quiet and and uh, rustic experiences but that certainly wasn't the experience in Todku. So Richard arrived on the Sunday, on the 14th, and we spent the first day just uh, acclimating him. And as he said, he wasn't in the best of health. And then we left on Monday morning, and our first step stop was the island of Norsby, which, if memory serves, it was overcast and there really wasn't very much wind. I think it was probably about a six-hour passage for us, Richard, wasn't it? And we managed to get the sails up for probably an hour or maybe 90 minutes, if memory serves. Um, was probably about 10 knots uh, between the islands, so we were able to do okay. It wasn't as much sailing as we wanted to. But then as we pulled into Norsby, which is a harbour sort of round a corner, very, very well sheltered, north, south, east and west, spots for about 40 boats and every spot seemed to be taken. But we managed to find a spot at the end. And since the boat only draws three feet with her board up, uh, we were able to go in sort of one of the places that some of the other yachts wouldn't be able to do. And of course, as we arrived, correct me if I'm wrong, the heavens opened. And we were subject to a downpour, weren't we? Do you remember that? I do indeed. And uh, I suppose it's indicative of um, how, how uh, changeable the conditions are in the Baltic. You can suddenly have a beautiful uh, afternoon and uh, then in the evening, storm clouds can come in and it can absolutely tip it down. And that's what happened that day for sure. Yeah, and it was it was a very... Um, intimate little harbour because it was probably no more than 50 steps to the restaurant um, which was serving food actually some pretty decent looking food till quite late I think the harbour fee was $25 for the night and included in the harbour fee was the sauna and the sauna was just on the other side of the walkway and what was interesting was that the families the Finnish families were hanging out in their bathing suits jumping into the water as the rain was coming down and I remember going into the sauna and this will be the first of probably several references to the sauna and the Finnish always complained that the Swedish saunas are not nearly hot enough and I went into this one and it was absolutely jammed with people and there was a small little room about the size of a garden shed with three layers of seats three stages of seats and everyone was absolutely jammed but I managed to find a place and I just toasted them all uh, because I had a, bottle of, uh, had a bottle of beer in my hand and I said well you know your Finns are wonderful and of course everyone started talking but um, what's interesting is that the protocol here is, at least in Finland, is that you're supposed to go in naked and no towels. But they give these pads for hygienic reasons, I guess, which you're encouraged to sit on. But it still comes as a bit of a shock when you walk in and there's, you know, a white um, red faced Finnish men looking at you. And usually there's a couple of little kids in there as well, which is a bit of a shock as well. And it takes some adjustment, but it's all perfectly normal. I guess their, their ethos is that once you're naked, no one has any secrets and you're, you're all equal when you're naked and sweating in a sauna. So <laughs> you have to adjust pretty quickly, but uh, it was fun. Um, uh, Richard, of course, didn't come with me. And that's been a, a feature of the, of the time that he's been on the boat. He will not go on a sauna. Well, also, the other thing is, is one of the problems I've had is I've had terrible sciatica. And uh, and obviously the worst thing for sciatica is cold water, and um, so uh, and having just begun to uh, get over it, I was extremely loath 
to uh, have it reoccur again. Yes, indeed he was. So I came out and he was in, I think he was in the back of the boat, just looking out as the rain started to really hammer down. And I jumped into the water and swam up to the back of the boat and just called him by name. And he just said, you know, you are insane. What the hell is wrong with you? But uh, we had a nice dinner and we're going to get back to the sauna culture in a minute when we reintroduce Mark. We had a nice dinner there, courtesy of Richard, whose talents really in the galley are second to none. Um, and then we headed off the next day to a place called Degaby, and we had an absolutely brutal, um, well, I would call it brutal. It was probably about 42, 43 nautical miles. The wind was on the nose the whole time, and it was raining, and there was a cold wind. You know, I had my fowlies on, but it was really just, you know, pounding the boat into waves. You don't really want to do it, you know, and uh, it just was just very, very suboptimal. But as I always say here, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And shortly after arriving in Degaby, or as they call it, Degabu, um, which was, a, again, a cosy little harbour with about 40 spots and just a couple open, uh, the sun came out and we were just treated to this absolutely gorgeous prolonged Swedish twilight, weren't we? And, it, and as you say, you don't know, the conditions may be one way at 4pm, but at 8pm they are completely different. Absolutely, and um, yeah, and I remember that day in particular because um, I've already mentioned arriving in in not particularly good health, and um, that I arrived with an ear infection and an infected bursitis, and um, Neil handled that particular journey more or less on his own. I do you remember I. Yeah, he was downstairs, uh, not know, slacking as usual, <laughs> having uh, caught some uh, chill and. Um, and uh, was not well well at all, but uh, it was a very welcome sight when we did arrive in our next port and uh, the clouds broke and the sun Yes, appeared. yes, it was absolutely gorgeous. But uh, anyway, so moving on to Maryham. Maryham, as regular listeners will know, is the capital of the Orland Islands and it's the gateway either going in or going out, depending on your direction to the Orland Islands, um, and I've been there a couple of times before. The the town has two sides to it, Maryham East and Maryham West, and a lot of it in some ways looks like a French provincial town from the 19th century. It's very quiet with some quite graceful architecture, which can be a bit of a shock in these parts. Um, and it has a rich tradition of Cape Horners, so the Orland Islanders were famous for going on Cape Horn um, bound vessels, merchant vessels going to the New World and going to Australia uh, back in the 19th century. And there is a magnificent square masted uh, uh, trading vessel there called the Pomern, which has been beautifully restored. And there's a really cool museum attached. So that sort of looms over the museum, the ASS, um, and I beg your pardon, that looms over the marina, the ASS marina, which is where we stayed, which has terrific facilities. And I said to Richard as we came towards the, the marina, I said, I bet that I see Wilson waiting for us on the dock and I guarantee he'll be wearing his fluorescent yellow T-shirt because that's what he's famous for in Los Angeles. And he didn't disappoint me, did you, Mark? That was me. Um, couldn't have timed it even better than it was. Uh, I got in about half an hour off of ferry from Stockholm before meeting up with you guys. It was a great ferry over, short little walk, and it was very happy. I was very happy to see you guys approaching. And that ferry, just uh, for, it, it was less than $30, was it? Less than 20 it, or something? It was about 20 US dollars. And it's about a five-hour trip from Stockholm. It was a five-hour trip from Stockholm. Very, very comfortable. 
uh, no assigned seating, but plenty of seating to mm -hmm. be had. Um, I had a very pleasant rest on board. I uh, had a couple of snacks before eventually getting off and meeting you guys. So for people who are tempted to come to Sweden, you know, you come to Stockholm, don't get intimidated by the fact that you don't have a boat. It really is kind of the message there, because you can get out into the islands pretty cheaply and pretty fast by the sound of it. Indeed. indeed. And you, you just ordered your ticket online from your home in Los Angeles, didn't you? To I direct did. Ferries I, I, or something. I, it was direct ferries. I ended up uh, catching a fare from Viking Ferries, and uh, it was really easy. Yep. They accepted PayPal. And uh, it, I'll tell you what, the taxi from the Stockholm airport to my hotel was probably about twice as much as the five-hour ferry ride was. <laughs> so definitely no complaints on the ferry systems out here. Right. And so you spent um, a day and a half. We used Thursday as a lay day because I had some work to do and uh, laundry and various other bits and pieces. So we used the facilities at the marina there uh, copiously. You had a sauna, I had a sauna. The facilities are terrific, aren't they? I mean, you've really got everything you need. They sure were. It was it was everything I can hope for. Definitely all the comforts of home. Right. Uh, having lived in a marina previously, it was probably a lot better than most I've been in before. So mm. it was great. And then on the Friday, we set sail for Bjorko, which uh, the Finns sometimes refer to as Folio, F-O-G-L-O, -O, with the O with the two little I's above. And I'm sorry, I'm not a linguist. I don't know what those two little I's are called. But I believe the, they call the island Folio. We, we call it Bjorko. But this is a place that we've been to before, a gorgeous little nature island that is sheltered on all sides and has this wonderful south-facing harbour. And I guess that was probably an 18, 19 mile nautical uh, journey, wasn't it? The sun was shining, the sky was blue, and we had the sails up almost the whole way, which was terrific, wasn't it? And then we pulled in and it was just a gorgeous, isolated little spot. One little harbour with one of those little red boat houses. I think there was another, two other little boats there, which is the most boats I've ever seen. And we sort of chatted with those folks. And then one of them disappeared the same night and one of them left first thing in the morning. But the stillness of that place was absolutely remarkable, wasn't it, uh, Richard? Yeah, and it was, um, that was, as you say, the stillness. And I suppose... Um, the sounds of the birds and I remember, the other really memorable thing I remember the um, reflection of the moon over the water and how it cast almost like a, a double sort of shadow and, uh, and the, the scenery there is quite amazing because there's kind of like these these rocky outcrops which um, then, well obviously when there's a full moon are sort of illuminated as well and it's it's very very dramatic it's it's definitely worth it facilities are so we're sort of fairly limited. Yeah, there's a vault toilet, and that's it. There's no showers, there's no laundry, there's no Wi-Fi, there's nothing. But that's part of the charm and part of the, the Eden features of this right. place is it's so untouched. Right. Um, especially coming from Los Angeles, it's got 10 million people in it. To be able to come to an island that has nobody else. Right. The, the following morning, it was just our mm. boat right. and the three of us on this island right. enjoying right. this stillness and... Scandinavian paradise of it all. But I suppose there was, there is also a reason for the fact that it, it is unvisited, and that there is a certain, I suppose, hesitation amongst a lot of people because of the tick problem there. Well, the tick problem is something that exists all over the islands, although we heard from one of the locals that it's worse on Bjorko, um, which I don't know whether it, whether it is or whether it isn't. 
you know, it is a nature reserve, and as such, they don't want to build a lot of, of facilities. You build facilities, then they will come. So there is only one, there's not even one year-round resident. There's just a groundskeeper, if you like, called Kai, who lives on the nearby island of Degaby or Degabu. And he comes over Monday to Friday on his little boat and makes a notation of the boats that have arrived and does some, you know, animal husbandry and various other bits and pieces, and then he goes home. But uh, you sometimes, and he's a pretty anxious, he can be very charming, and other times, this is the third time I've met him, other times he just doesn't want to talk to people. He turns off his hearing aid and he just, he, he'll see that you're there. Maybe he'll go around the boat on the, on, uh, go around the island on a boat, and he will see that you're there, but he won't bother to stop and talk to you. He'll just make a notation that you were there and go back to his house. So there's very much a sense of, of desolation and solitude, but that's what you're, that's what you're, that's what it says on the tin. That's what you want, and it delivers in spades, doesn't it? It's wonderful in that regard. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, though, though you should, we should also mention there is a, um, you can have an injection, can't you, to protect you against the yeah. tick fever? Yeah, there's no cure for this tick-borne encephalitis, at least there wasn't last summer when I checked. I haven't double i haven't followed up on it but yeah you can get an injection ahead of time although you can't get it in the states i asked one of my friends who sailed with me over here who's a doctor and he said no you can't get it here because it's not ne it's not needed um so you'd have to f check out a, a doctor here in sweden or in finland you'd have to make an appointment you'd have to it, it's complicated so I practice it's worth um, doing though if you wanted to camp on the island. If, yeah, if you wanted to, well, you know, then if you're on your boat, you should be camping on your boat. But if otherwise, yeah, no, that would be dangerous. So I just make sure that I always wear my big boots with my thick socks and my long, my big boy pants. I think one of the other memorable things about the island is it was quote unquote full because there were two other boats right. there when we showed up, <laughs> and so we had to go through the treacherous exercise. Of mooring in three and a half feet of water. Yeah, 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 we did. You're right. The regular, there's one jetty that's about 100 years old, wooden, faded, covered in lichen. And I've always done a side tie to the end hitherto, and the water there is about six feet. And I just said to, and it's crystal clear, plenty of rocks under there. And I just said to the boys, I said, hey, you know, I'm confident that if I approach this slowly, nothing bad will happen which isn't always the wisest thing to do. But um, we just approached the jetty and we came really, really, really slowly and we tied up and there was no contact with anything below on the on the keel. Although I was looking at, you know, this boat draws three feet and I was looking at my um, my depth meter and it said 2.9 feet when we were tied up. Oh boy. <laughs> anyway, there was no problem coming in and there was no problem going out and Arcturus's shallow draft served us very well again. You know, Neil, I really got the feeling that you really wanted us to see this island. Uh, I, you wanted us to see a lot of things, but it really felt extra special going there because I think you really wanted us to see what this oh, without a shadow of a doubt, paradise was. Well, it's been, as I said, it's my third visit there in the last year, and I just there is something so completely unique about. I mean, going bows to, in you know wherever you can find the spot is nice. Um, and it's not quite a bows to experience because there is a jetty you can tie to, but in every other regard, it's just similar to being in the middle of nowhere. And I, I have never been any place like Bjorkor, and I just think that if you guys want the real experience, you should have it too. So yeah, you're right. I wanted you to go there, and I was delighted that we could we could visit. The other thing I remember about uh, Bjorkor, you, and uh, you mentioned how how wonderful the Finns and the Swedes are, and how polite they are. I remember the girl from the other boat came up to us and said. Um, I hope you don't mind, but we're thinking of leaving at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. 
I hope we don't disturb you I, with our engine. Yeah. <laughs> she was so nice. Yeah, she was. Yeah. She was very, very nice. So, uh, yeah. Very yeah. polite. And we had been lucky, you know, I have a SIM card in my phone, uh, which again is super cheap over here. Um, and I had been uh, contacted on social media by a fellow I met last year uh, who is an operatic tenor from Maryham, um, from the Orland Islands. His name is Christian Uslin. Terrific guy. And I had asked him if maybe we could meet for a drink in Maddyham. And he said, well, he said, my 50th birthday is coming up and I'm going to be having it on the island of Rodon with some friends. And so I can't really meet you, but you're invited to my birthday party. And this was just one of these moments of serendipity where something happens that you don't expect, that you hadn't planned for. And it turns out to be absolutely sensational. So we set sail the next morning for Rodham. Rodham was less than two nautical, uh, 10 nautical miles away, so it didn't take us very long to get there. We pulled in, and previously when I'd been there last year, uh, the place holds about 50 boats, and there were maybe 18, 20. Well, this time it was absolutely heaving, because it was a beautiful summer day, blue skies, temperatures in the mid-70s, and it seemed like uh, every Finn and their child who had a boat was determined to go to Rodham. And when we paid the harbour fee, I mentioned that I was looking for Christian. And they said, oh, yeah, his party is just going to be up the, up the road away. And it was just up the hill, probably a four, four, five-minute walk. So we showed up at, the, at 4 p.m. And the, all of his friends from the opera world and his family were there under a tent, a large tent, and with a couple of big, long tables with drinks and food. And what unfolded was just the most magical afternoon and evening, wasn't it, gentlemen? It was absolutely amazing. It was just so unexpected to find such a sophisticated gathering on this remote um, Finnish island. And um, the warmth of welcome that uh, we had from everyone was absolutely astounding. And uh, we felt very privileged to be part of it. And uh, especially with such a notable tenor, Finland's you know, top um, operatic tenor, and uh, a very, uh, a very, very talented, budding um, young uh, female opera singer as well, who uh, regaled us with uh, some really memorable, memorable uh, arias. It was, uh, and the food, and that was the other thing. We we're in this tent in the middle of this island, and the food was absolutely sensational, and uh, which uh, Mark and I uh, made good use of, didn't we, Mark? We did. Um... You know, just to set the stage, we'd been living on a boat for a couple of days at that point. And uh, we'd had a chance to get washed up because obviously when you were going to a party. But uh, as you walk up to to this hill, almost at the summit of the island, um, they had two different rows of tables with seating on either side with very proper linen tablecloths and RSVP'd name tags on each place setting with everyone's name on it. Mm -hmm. So this was a very, very thoughtful, intimate 50th birthday party for Christian. And as you said, Neil, out of serendipity, we got to benefit by showing up and sharing the moment with him. Yeah, absolutely right. And they, they put you guys down, you know, a long way down from the head table, as your lack of status deserves. Um, but uh, they put me at the head table with uh, with Christian's mother and uh, the, the main um, pianist and the, the very talented young soprano. And I, I hardly know Christian, so I felt really honoured by just the warmth of the welcome. But they 
they started off by having a couple of toasts, um, uh, you know, with some Brandvin and singing a traditional uh, Swedish drinking songs I've heard sung before around a table with my friends. But when you hear them sung by operatic tenors, it really takes it to another level. And then the fellow sitting next to who was the pianist and conductor and arranger and keyboardist got up to play and his um, partner, who was a wonderful budding soprano, sang a couple of arias, which not of which I'd heard before, but they were absolutely beautiful. And then as the day progressed, or the evening progressed, they came and played some more. There was a couple of Verdi pieces. Um, and then Christian sang a couple of songs himself, including one called Granada. Um, I forget the composer, but it was really stirring. It was an ode to Granada in Spain, which I think Richard appreciated. I think, yeah, by I think a Mexican composer who never actually went to Granada. Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, and then Christian's music teacher, who was a big bear of a man, got up and sang uh, A Wonderful World in English. And it, the love around that table and around that room and around that tent was just fantastic. And I think we probably bowed out of there about 8, 8.30, so I think we were there for about four hours. But it was just one of the, you know, it was a golden finished twilight. It was just one of those moments where you just say... This wouldn't happen if we weren't sailing. If we were not open to new experiences, this wouldn't have happened for us. And it was just, it's something that I cannot ever, I can't believe I will ever forget that that evening. Honestly, it was sensational. Yeah, definitely one of the, one of the most memorable moments of, of my many travels, yeah. you know, when I look back on it. And then Mark and I headed off to the sauna. Um, we got the, I think, the 11 o'clock to 12 to midnight shift at the sauna in Rodham, which is a lovely little sauna right on the rocks with the chopped wood outside, a little sign that encourages you to add, consistently add new um, wood so the next people come in will have hot, hot coals. Um, and there's a lovely little platform that you can just jump in. The sun was going down behind the pine trees. It was just uh, magnificent, wasn't it? It was just a magnificent end to a magnificent day. Absolutely. It's true what they say. The Finnish enjoy their saunas a little hotter. Um, I remember I remember being in there and I made the mistake of wearing a, a, a chain, a necklace around my neck when I went in. And the thing was getting hot. It was getting it was getting hotter than my body temperature. So I had to take the thing off because I felt like it was burning. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll definitely remember that. I'll definitely remember the setting of this sauna and, uh, and jumping into the Baltic Seas. Immediately after. Indeed, indeed. Well, the following day, we left on a, just a gorgeous sailing day to sail across the Baltic. There was, there was a blue sky. We had constant wind, probably 10 to 12, right on the beam. We put the sails up within 10 minutes of leaving um, Rodham Harbour, and we didn't put them down until we were five minutes out of Harbour and Bledo, 42 miles across the sea. And it was just, uh, it was just, it was just a wonderful sail, wasn't it? It was an absolutely great day. Uh, like you said, Neil, I personally have never sailed that far. It was 40 nautical miles. The most I'd sailed before that was maybe Catalina. Uh, we did do some international sailing, I guess, which was a lot more. But uh, as far as sailing like this across an entire sea, uh, nothing I could have ever imagined doing. Uh, like I said, I've only been sailing for about five years. So... Uh, it was great. And we didn't need to reef. We had the big 140% Genoa up. We had the full main, and we put the mizzen up as well because it just seemed like we could we could have eked out, and I think we were doing about five and a half knots. I said that we can eke out another half knot out of this. 
so that kept us that got us up to about six knots and i think we we just did you know which for this boat 35 foot boat with a 22 foot water line built in 1966 you know that's a respectable speed and um so we were doing between six and six and a half knots for just hour after hour after hour and it seemed like we crossed the baltic very fast didn't it i mean the the land mass and the outer islands of sweden were on us before we knew it were they not uh, richard yeah i mean undoubtedly i think i was by far when you say apprehensive i think um better description would be uh, terrified in my case <laughs> the thought of crossing the baltic and um but uh, it was uh, it, it was very very enjoyable and i think the thing that struck me is that when we arrived on the other side um the incredible sense of achievement of you know being able to cross a, a uh, an ocean in a boat the size of Arcturus, which is something i'd never ever expected i'd ever do in life but it gave me, it certainly gave me an appreciation of, uh, and an understanding of why people would want to cross the Atlantic or cross the Pacific and the sense of pride and achievement you get from an even more adventurous crossing such as that. So it gave me a good insight into, I think, the, the, the psyche and the minds of sailors. Right. And it was terrific when we got there because we went to the island of Blidor, which is, I've been to a couple of times before, that's spelled B-L-I-D-O, um, and it is sort of down a narrow channel and into, you basically go to port and there is just this gorgeous, picture-perfect little harbour with probably space for about 15 boats inside and then you can side-tie outside um, for probably another three or four boats and there's a little hill with the um, Bledo Hammond Krog which I think is the sort of restaurant and bar I think that's a proper name for it I'm sorry for my dreadful pronunciation and but barely it's a tiny little harbour it's very compact so probably 30 meters from the from the stern of our boat was the sauna and right next to that uh, there was a little dock with this vintage wooden Swedish working boat, a lugger, I think it is, that's what the English would have called it, a gaff-rigged lugger, um, probably a minimum of um, 125, 130 years old. I think we may have covered it in a previous episode, the exact details, so I'm sorry if I'm not quite accurate there. But the, this boat is beautifully preserved, and it's right next there to the sauna, and it's, it's within swimming distance from the back of Arcturus. <laughs> Um, you know, we had a. We'll talk about the sauna in a moment. We did first of all have a lovely dinner at the restaurant overlooking it. Richard had a minute steak, and I had the moule marinière, which is the marinated mussels. And um, Mark had a pizza, and we had a nice bottle of rosé. Well, they called it a minute steak, but I mean, it was really a ribeye, wasn't it? It was. I don't know what it was, but and, it was terrific. And it was absolutely sensational with a, a really lovely bearnaise sauce and lovely chips as well. So it wasn't cheap. Um, food here is not cheap, but it's nice when you've done a passage and you don't want to cook. And if you go and the restaurants here, I, I think, are all great. I mean, typically you have only three or four choices as, as appetizers and maybe half a dozen entrees and three desserts. But they're always really well done, nicely presented. The Swedes take really great, take great pride in presenting their food very nicely. And I haven't had a bad meal in Sweden. I don't think I've had a cheap meal either, but... Um, <laughs> Haven't had a bad meal here. No, we've eaten well every day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, we've eaten, I suppose we've also been eating a lot of uh, Swedish food as well. You know, the, very typically the uh, potato salads and the prawn scargon and the gravelax. 
And um, and that is just once you start eating that, it's just you can't get enough of it. No, no, you really can't. And uh, it's been it's great. It's been great for my waistline too, which uh, no one really wants to hear about. But uh, we uh, we had a wonderful meal, and then we went into the sauna. I think we were on the eleven till twelve o'clock shift again. Mark and I, Richard abstaining as usual, and the heavens opened when we got into the sauna and absolutely hammered down. So a couple of times we came out to call off and we just stood there and let the rainstorm drench us. And a couple of times we jumped in. But one of the things that I really liked about this particular sauna is a little window looking out over the harbour. And every single boat had its lights off except for Arcturus, which was 30 metres away. So you could just jump in and swim there if you wanted to. But Arcturus looked so warm and welcoming. It looked like a little pub at the end of a, a village, you know, a, a country road that was inviting you to come in and get warm and get dry. And it was, uh, it was just, uh, it was just lovely, wasn't it, Mark? Absolutely, absolutely. And we were, we were pelted down till probably four o'clock in the morning with the rainstorm. And then the next morning, the sun came out, we did a little provisioning, and it was a glorious day again when we, um, we headed back up to where we are now, which is Nortalia. So we, um, we motored the whole way. It was about 20 nautical miles. Nortalia is at the end of a very long inlet on the um, <clears throat> on the east coast here of Sweden. So it's beautiful in terms of the fact that it's pine trees and forests with lots of, of, of houses and docks and saunas out there and speedboats going by. It certainly isn't the rustic, desolate experience that you get in Finland or in the further reaches of the Swedish archipelago, but it's still pleasant and uh, there's a big town just a 10 minute walk away. But the facilities here are terrific, um, got everything you need, good sauna, good showers um, and um, Wi-Fi. And we've just been enjoying really a, just a long, another lovely, long, prolonged twilight. I mean, it's now um, 10, 15 local time. And I guess we started day drinking at about four because it's... It's Mark's last day with us. He's heading back to Los Angeles. And it, and it was a long voyage. It was a tw- it was a twelve mile voyage. <laughs> twenty mile. Twenty mile. Okay, don't, that, uh, that don't, don't cut us short, but uh, don't sell us short. So we've had a really lovely evening in the peaceful twilight here, and uh, we've had a nice meal courtesy of Richard, and we're just sort of reflecting on on everything. I mean, it's all just been. You know, I, I take great pride as uh, to be a good host and to make sure that people have a good time on my boat. But it really does seem through a combination of the place and the people and the boat and the company that we try to make magic here. And everyone I know who's been on the boat has just said to me, you know, it's just a wonderful experience. And I'm very thankful for that. And it's not all about me, brag, brag. It's really about the majesty of the place and what this boat is able, the places that this boat is able to take you literally and figuratively, because she coming here empties you out and fills you up in the best possible way and so Mark has just been sort of enjoying I think tonight as we all have just it was very bittersweet to see him go but we've um we've really had we've packed a lot into the the time you've been here haven't we Mark? We certainly have um it's been an absolute pleasure I think one of the things about uh being on a boat is you need to be able to perform your duties and slide into the duties of the person next to you and that's not only when you're outside on the boat under sail, but that's even when you're inside, whether it's making meals, washing dishes, making coffee, whatever the domestic situation is inside the boat, you got to be able to slide uh, into different positions the way you do outside the boat. And I think that's what's 
made part of this journey so great is we've all gotten along just great, and it's been an absolute pleasure uh, cohabitating with you guys for the last couple of days. Sure, I mean, um, I mean, uh, for me, I've only met Mark a week ago, but um, I'm very pleased to uh, think that I found a new and very good friend who I very much look forward to uh, seeing very shortly, either in uh, California or who knows, back in Europe. But yeah. uh, certainly I live in Spain and uh, Mark knows he always, always has a place to uh, rest his head and stay if ever he's in uh, in Spain, that's for sure. Oh, I'm looking forward to taking you over to Catalina, brother. That's great. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm on the pie. Behind? The Pakai. Pakai, on the Pakai. 1879, Catalina 38. Yes, that's a, always a fun boat. Uh, we do leisure sails on Mark's boat quite regularly, and it's always a fun boat. So you've had the loving, um, dear listeners, so I appreciate your uh, forbearance in that regard, and you've heard about our sauna practices, our food, our travelling, our sailing, and uh, the good ship Arcturus. As far as what remains... It's been a fantastic summer so far, but it's coming towards an end. Um, I arrived here on June 23rd, and so today is July 23rd, so it's been a month. What's happening is is that once Mark goes home tomorrow, we've got a lay day here with some work and laundry and a few bits and pieces that we have to catch up on. And then Richard and I will be taking the boat up to Grislaham on Friday. And then the day after that, we'll be heading back to Oregon, where she will spend the winter, the boat that is, at uh, the Gripen Marine, which is where she spent last winter. So we expect it taking a couple of days in terms of just to help decommission the boat. And then Richard and I will be heading our separate ways. Richard will be heading back to Spain and I will be going to London to meet my family. Um, so I will be back in Los Angeles later in the month of August and by that time you will be hearing this podcast and if you're interested in more details you can visit uh, sailingarctourist.com which has the latitude and longitude of all the places that we've visited it has some more details other than the ones you've already seen and some pictures and plus some drone footage when I've been able to get it it's not always easy to get if the wind is blowing but that will give you perhaps a better feel for that the experience. So if you are more a website person, then feel free to visit sailingarcturus.com. So, gentlemen, do you have any final thoughts before we sign off? We're in 46 minutes now, which is a good length. Do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to leave uh, the audience with? Um, <laughs> Only we forgot to mention, okay, the fact that, that we found this amazing Thai restaurant, which is probably the cheapest place in the whole of Scandinavia to eat, <laughs> and and it was in Marianham in the Ireland Islands. If you ever go there, okay, it's called Cafe Yasan, and as Mark knows, you can have and eat as much as you want buffet for only ten euros, and it is sensational, and it's just amazing to find a Thai family in such a remote part of the world. Yes, and it's right opposite the Central Library, so you can't miss it. Um, there's a place called Weemarin, which you can go to get your uh, maritime supplies for your yacht if you've forgotten something. Uh, right down the road is the Central Library, which I found very useful with a lightning-fast Wi-Fi connection. And should you get hungry, exactly, you go across the road to, to see uh, to Dim's Restaurant, and for 10 euros, you can load up your plate as many times as you want with some very tasty Thai cuisine. So that's uh, our secret insider tip to Maryham and the Orland Islands. 
Mark, what about you? you have any final thoughts? You know, I guess my final thought is, uh, Neil, you, Neil, you and I have t- chatted a lot on this on this voyage, and uh, one of the things we keep telling each other is, hey, you got to put yourself out there. Uh, you got to do a deep dive. You got to you got to go out and do things. And and I'll tell you what, five years ago, I never ever saw myself sailing, let alone sailing between Finland and Sweden. And uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's the basic message is uh, you don't have to you don't have to do great things. You just got to do things. And uh, whether whether it's jumping on a boat with your friend or jumping on a boat in your local area, uh, you got to open yourself up to these things, and they will pay off many times over one last thought I think you mentioned how long we've known each other Neil mm-hmm. and um, whereas what was it 35 years ago we raised hell now we can, all we can do is raise sails <laughs> oh bravo well done sir well done sir so on that note I'm going to leave you with Franz's words which is that you know life is short and in the end it's all about the people you meet and the memories you make So go out and make some memories, go sailing, and I hope to see you on the water. Dicen que la distancia es el olvido.